if you are visiting, we love that you're here uh, with us. And so uh, let me kind of catch everybody up. And while you're listening, you can be turning to First Peter chapter to this morning. Uh, if you've got a Bible, great. There's one in front of you. You don't have one. If you've got a phone, use that. Just nobody check your fancy football because no one cares about the Eagles or the Seahawks winning. Okay? All right. All right. We are at the very end of the series here. We're concluding today our series on gospel community. And so uh, you'll have a couple guest speakers next week with Jerry Smiley. He's an associate pastor from uh, Great Bay Calvary speaking and preaching here. And then the week after that, you'll have a guy named Matt Glad. Uh, he's part of Seven Mile Road, Kennebunk, friends of ours uh, who are preaching on the 11th. So our family's going to be away on vacation. We're looking forward to it. Uh, but look, we set you up well, right? You've got Mr. Smiley, Mr. Glad. If you're in a bad mood, it's on you, okay? All right. So again, we are kind of wrapping up our series here called Gospel Community. We started this uh, quite some time ago, and this was really our whole heart and our whole intent behind this series was this, uh, that, that we would understand as a local church family what it means to be the people of God gathered together for his purposes. If we can better understand those things, then we would hopefully together better strive to live in biblical obedience as a biblical gospel community. So what you didn't hear in that was Nate's tooth sense of thoughts on community. What you didn't hear was this is what makes State Street Church unique. Um, I, I think that we want to drive into biblical, biblical, biblical and see what does the text say? How does it then apply and work its way down into State Street Church family? All right, and as we we've walked over the series, really we began with trying to describe what we think gospel community is. And here's just the kind of the quick, uh, right, spark notes version. All right, gospel community, what do I mean by that? Local church. Why do I hesitate to use the words local church? Because I say church, so many thoughts and emotions and experiences come to your mind, right? Church is a building. Church is a thing you do. Uh, it's a place you go. It's just kind of your hour and a half. You check it off and you move on with your life. But, but what a gospel community entails is two very specific things. Guess what they are? Gospel and community. It's not, I'm not a complicated person, okay? It implies that, that God's people together in a local context have to be rooted in the gospel together in community. And so we've talked about things like a gospel community has to have discipleship. The goal of growing together in Christ. That, that we're not just coming, kind of looking just to do our thing and plug away for 50, 60 years, whatever God gives us here on earth, and then just check out. But, but gospel community has discipleship. It has a growth mentality Right? That gospel community has gospel teaching and prayer. Like if we just get together and all I do is kind of break out my food for thoughts of the week or uh, Christianity for dummies and we just move on, then we're really not striving after godly principles or godly living in our lives. We have to be teaching the scriptures. And so this series is even unique to us here at State Street where we usually teach through books of the Bible. We go through from beginning and not necessarily verse by verse, but we teach um, exegetically. So we drive out of the text. What does the text say to us? All right, and then we take expositionally, we go through the book of the Bible. So just before this, we finished Hebrews. In the summer, we spent um, time in, in the book of Proverbs together. And where are we going to go in two weeks? I don't know. I, I thought Joshua, and this week, I don't think Joshua. Um, I'm just praying that God would tr- give me that kind of while I'm away and begin me to kind of give some roots into that. But I'm excited to get back into a series probably in the Old Testament, okay? So gospel teaching, prayer. If we're not praying for each other and together, then we've got problems, 
Because we think we can do everything on our own strength. And guess what? You're not superhuman. Neither am I. We can't. All right? So we pray together. All right? Just as a matter of update for prayer, last week we were praying for the Telfson son, Reggie, uh, diagnosed with colon cancer. Uh, they've seen a shadow now on his liver, I think is what it was. Okay? Um, so just keep praying. They're trying to walk that out. Reggie has got two kids, um, I think a seventh grader and a fifth grader, that sound right. Uh, they're probably my age. Okay? Colon cancer. Like, oh no. But early, they're excited early, okay? But now it's just a process. So we're praying for them. Even if you don't know them, you can pray for someone you don't know. That is, that's okay to do, all right? Gospel community has gospel teaching and prayer, right? And then we said, we're gonna get right into your face with this one. Gospel community has hospitality. Like somehow in American culture, we've become kind of this uh, castle mentality people. We have nice homes and we're thankful for these things, but we've kind of discovered that uh, culture has shifted so far and it's unique because it's shifted architecturally as well, right? There's, there's no more front porches. It's all back porches. And if you can have a garage, you want a garage that actually connects to your home so you don't have to talk to anybody. You drive in, put your door down, go in your house. It's your safe place. And I get that. Your home should be your safe space, but it should never, ever, as a follower of Jesus, be your castle, you should never have a moat around to keep people out. Like, if God has entrusted you a place, okay, when, don't hear home and think grand house. Think a place, an apartment, a home. It's meant to be used. Like, he's entrusted that to you and to me to be used, to steward it for his glory and for uh, the building up of his kingdom. So gospel community has hospitality. Gospel community gathers together, right? So this is good, but this isn't the end all and be all. Like, it's good for us to gather, I believe, uh, to hear, hopefully, right, biblical preaching, to grow together, then to press into each other's lives. Like, hey, what do you think about that? To, to dig into First Peter by yourself and, and kind of rub shoulders with people and rub thoughts on how does it work out in your own life, right? That takes gathering together. But, but here's a temptation to just think it only means Sunday. That's not what you see in the New Testament. That's not what you see in the early church. It said they spent time together in each other's homes. They were breaking bread together, which means they're eating food together, right? That all takes intentionality and time. Right? To be intentional is to be part of a gospel community with hospitality. And lastly, we said this, that gospel community seeks to grow. And what I mean by that is we don't seek to see, like, can we blow the doors off State Street and have to like, build a new addition and get rid of our parking lot? That's not what I mean by, by grow. What I mean is this, it's growth in Christ. Like, we seek maturity and I just kind of laid out a thought that was really impressed on me last week when I was at a conference. Is this, the idea that as followers of Christ, man, you, you hear all the time, look, mature, 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 but you're never going to be arriving until you reach heaven. Like you're always going to be sinful and broken. But I affirm that. But the pressing thought that was kind of put in my brain was this, that you can actually be mature while you're still here on earth. You don't, you may not be perfect, but you could be mature. In fact, the, 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 uh, this guy, Pastor Corey McLaughlin from uh, Sheffield, Massachusetts, said this. The goal of the Christian is this, to get mature as fast as possible and stay there as long as you can. To become mature as fast as possible and stay there as long as you can. Look, have you ever met a mature 13-year-old? Yeah, so you, you actually have. You think back about it. And you're not going to say that person... I know you think you're mature, but you're not really mature. Now, they might just be mature for a 13-year-old, but they're still mature. And so the same thing is true in life. Like, there is no age bracket. Like, you have to reach 60 till you're mature, right? Or, or 30. I hope not. I'm not mature yet. 
All right? But this idea that as believers, guys, you can be mature. I can be mature Christians. And our goal should be to get there as fast as we can. So how do you do that? Man, you read God's word, you spend time in prayer, and you spend time with God's people. All right, just three things. Commit to that. And then stay there as long as you can. Try to get back in that valley. And if you do, get out of that valley as fast as you can. Maturity. And gospel community desires to grow. We desire for growth in each other. And guess what? We do desire for the gospel to go forward into each other's lives expanding and growing God's kingdom together. Like, I know that I just blasted you with a fire hose of 10 minutes of information, but I just wanted to catch everybody up to remind you of where we've come from and where we're going to kind of put a bow on this week and wrap it all up. Today we're looking to really ask and answer the question, what do we do with all this? Like if gospel community is supposed to have all these things, what does that actually mean? See, as we talk about gospel community, I think that we can move in the, in the direction, right, and get some clarity, even if it's not in its entirety, of what it means to be this gospel community. Because please, hear my heart. That is my desire for us as a church family, to be a gospel community, like to just be crushing it in all of these categories, and not so that we can say, look how amazing we are, but so that we say, man, we're being faithful to the gospel, we're being faithful to growing in Christ, and we're being faithful to kingdom work that God is putting right in front of us every day. With that kind of backdrop in mind, I'm going to be conscious of the clock today because Mark is flying solo without Amanda, so I want to think about him too. First um, Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. This is God's word. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have trusted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men in the light of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices accepting, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word. And they were destined to do so. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Let's pray. Lord, as we just spend a few moments in your word, may I, I pray that its words would resonate deep within us. Because God, uh, uh, we have to remind ourselves, at the end of all this, my life will expire if you do not return, but your word will endure forever. So your word, will that be what's buried deep within us today? 
in your name. Amen. Let me give you just a quick context here of what's going on. Peter is believed to be the writer here. And he's encouraging his readers to really endure suffering, to endure persecution, right? And how would they do that? To give themselves entirely to God. That's really Peter's heart as he writes this letter. He wants them to remain faithful to the call of God on their lives, to endure suffering. Even when times get tough, man, remain faithful to the gospel. And it should be noted that Peter is writing this, we think, between AD 62 and, and 63, historically around the time when Nero reigned. If you know anything about history of Nero, he wasn't known for his generosity and his kindness. He was known more to be a tyrant. And here is Peter that says, look, man, remain faithful, persevere, press into the gospel. See, as you can imagine, during a time of rejection of Christianity and really its message, there must have been concern. There must have been concern similar to like the, the parable that Jesus spoke, right? He says there are different kinds of seeds that go in the ground, but there's one seed that seems to go on, but in the very end, actually, the, the pressures of the world choke it out. See, Peter's concern here really is that the believer in Christ would be faithful all the way to the end of their breath. And as I grow in my understanding of, of Christ and life and what it means to live in Jesus and trusting in the gospel, right, I am more than ever convinced that one of the true marks of salvation is perseverance. Because right, fruit is, is called the evidence of one's faith, right? We, we are very thankful in our family just for an aunt, uh, sorry, an aunt and an uncle of Christina and Kimberly, who they've just come to the Lord. Um, and it, it makes no sense and, and from our just humanist understanding. Just, uh, man, but they, they're talking. I know Kim and Christian talked with our Aunt Kim this week and, and last week. Just they're changed. And it's a miracle. Anytime the loss is found or the sick are healed, it's a miracle. And say, so, man, there's evidence, there's fruit. They, they, they think differently, that they're, they're talking differently. They're talking about Jesus in a positive way. There's, there's fruit. And that's good. That, that is a, a marker for the life of the believer. But you know what? It's the greatest mark, I believe, is perseverance. Like, like stay in it. Stay there. Like stay mature. Persevere in Christ. Peter wants him, I believe he'd want us today as well, to persevere and not be choked out by the stresses of life and the world. See, Peter wants us for them. See, Peter wanting to be helpful, he he writes here. And he goes on and attempts to put just some markers on what it might look like to be faithful. And I'm I'm really thankful for this, personally. Because this is how I work. This is how I think. I'm wired this way, right? To To a positive and to a fault. And what I mean is this. Peter gives a little bit of a list here. With an interesting analogy as well. I like lists. I'm not sure if I'm the only one. Lists allow me the feeling of accomplishment. But there's danger in this list. Anytime a list is given in Scripture, there's danger that we just run to that and be like, look, check, 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 check. I'm not, I'm this, I'm this, I'm this, move on. Right? And I think when we run in that mindset of like, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, just move on with life, right? we're risking coming out of maturity in that point. So Peter's list here is helpful, but it's not a way of just checking things off, but a way of trying to stay and remember these things. 
He gives us some instructions. He says this, put away all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Instead, like newborn infants, long for pure spiritual milk. So what's he saying? Look, be faithful, persevere in the faith. And to do that, make sure that you don't have malice, that you don't have deceit, that you don't have hypocrisy, you don't have envy, you're not ripping people apart behind their back, you're not slandering them, you're not gossiping them. One of the biggest uh, sins that's tolerated in the local church family is often gossip. He's saying, look, make sure it's not part of you. But instead, long, crave, pure, spiritual milk. Now, this is not the goal to return to milk instead of meat, church. Right? Hebrews talks about that. You're, you're, you're drinking milk and you should be eating meat at this point. But now the goal here is for the what? The pure. Peter says, look, man, just, I, I long for you to hold Jesus as so precious that everything else is secondary. That it just doesn't matter. What's the goal? That they may grow up into salvation. Maturity in Christ. That's the goal Peter has here. Like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk. That by it you may grow up into salvation. This is not a earning your salvation. Because that's not possible. You cannot be good enough to earn God's good grace. You jack it up once. You've ruined it forever. But no, this is, this is what I believe the scripture talks about when it says work out your salvation. Work on it. How does, how does being a follower of Jesus really impact you as a husband, as a wife, as a father, right? As a coworker, as a neighbor. How does it work in everything? That, that's a part of this working out of salvation. And why would we ever desire to do this? Because he says, look, because if you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, if there's that moment, you just, you come to understand how good it is to know the Lord, man, you would return back to that. See, Peter's calling, look, a memory jog for them. And says, look, if you've tasted and you've seen the Lord is good, return back to it. That you might mature and grow up into your salvation. As a body of Christ, we're together to get rid of malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Right? They're stopping us from maturing. So the expectation Peter lays out here is, is for, the, for longevity, for persevering in the faith, the longing for pure spiritual milk. Because we've tasted it. We have the Spirit within us working. Right? We said this before here at State Street. Like there, there are times... When God is working on our lives, we prefer he would use sandpaper and often he's using a chisel and a hammer. Do you get the analogy? Look, often we just want God just, just gently kind of, kind of just smooth out. I know that I'm not totally kind of what you want me to be or what you're calling me to be. I'm not totally trusting the gospel and what it reminds me about myself. Just, just, and God just says, look, I need, I'm sorry, but this is for your good. It's a hammer and a chisel. I need that so often. And then there are times that God graciously uses that sandpaper. And all this is a reaction and a result of being changed by the gospel. See, the change that comes in knowing Christ is meant to be immediate, but it is then meant to be also lasting. The follower of Christ needs to know that we have been given a permanent change. Like, like Peter's call here to get rid of those things. He's not saying, look, do it so you feel better about yourself. 
and do it in your own strength. But his call here is to get rid of these things because they will better then represent the heart of God to those around them. And they're not doing it by themselves. They're doing it with God at work within them. That we, as followers of Christ, if that's what you are today, we often feel like, man, the onus is totally on us. Listen, church, remind yourself, God is for you. Like, God is, is for your success and your good. God gets to define what success and good looks like. But he's for that. So what do I mean by that? Like, I don't know if God is totally concerned with what your 401k looks like today. He may be thinking you should be good stewards and plan ahead. That's what I think to do. But even more than that, listen, church. God is for you becoming more like his son. That's success in pursuing Christ. Getting rid of slander and hypocrisy. He's for that. And so he's going to help you do that. Maturing in Christ. He's for that. So he's going to help you do that. He's going to put people in your lives, right? That's called gospel community that will help you do that. He's going to give you his word that will help you do that. And by his grace, he's divinely given you a spirit that will help you do that. God is so for you. And if you're in Christ, that's your identity. Listen, you've got to be rooted in this. I've got to be rooted in this. That my identity, your identity, when you are in Christ, is defined as being his. What does that mean? Right. Maybe this analogy helps. Can you throw the first picture up there, Mike? What is this? Anybody know? Thank you. It's a truck. You're so wise. <laughs> what would I be without you? What kind of truck? No? We can name names, but anyone other an educated? It is a pickup truck. Thank you. It's a 1959 Chevy Apache. Okay? It looks nice, I think. This is an original ad. This looks glorious. Go to the next slide. That's a 1959 Apache. What I think is this, right? This is helpful for me. Because when I think about, like, what is it that kind of helps me and then stops me, in my relationship with Christ, and my identity. Right? Our first picture really is creation. Like that truck rolling off the line, that, that ad, that first picture was an ad for 1959 Apache. Just how God intended it for it to be, right? I mean, that's, that's the creators. They, they thought it would be majestic and beautiful. They wanted to sell out a truck, so they made it pristine. Right? And creation of humanity, God intended that for us. Here's the reality. This is called sin and its effects. If this analogy plays for us, okay? Time goes on, right? Sin enters the world. Now it was once immaculate looking. Now it looks like this. And this is just the effects of sin. But here's the problem, church. I think that for so many of us, ourselves Christians, we stop here. We think we don't look as good as we could. I know I'm not perfect. It's just sin. I'm I'm just a human. I'm just struggling through life. Go to the last slide, please. That's a 1959 Chevy Apache. Restored, redeemed, with value. This is us in Christ. 
if the analogy plays, like I hope it does, this is what we are like. Not because the truck did anything amazing, by the way. The truck didn't decide to fix itself one day. The truck wasn't like, oh, my, my tires don't look as good as they once did. I got some rust going on. No, someone took the time to care and to restore this thing. Is it perfect? No, it's not. Right? And here's what happens to us when we're in Christ. God has restored us and redeemed us. Are we perfect? No. Right? I know my heart better than you do. And I am not perfect. But when I am in Christ, I am restored. I am redeemed, faults and all. And the blood of Christ alone is what covers us. Church, you need to live as if you have been restored if you are in Christ. We have been restored. We have been made new. The lasting effects of sin are gone. And we have this beautiful inheritance waiting for us. Here's what I know. That the owner that rebuilt that truck did not ever intend for it to go back to the state it once was. Someone took the time and care to do that last build, to refinish everything with a perfect shine. He didn't say, you know what? Hope it's rusty again one day. Church, listen, I'm begging you. Stop, if you're in Christ, living as though you have a rusty, broken identity. You don't. You're not perfect. You never will be the side of glory. But you are lavishly loved by a holy God who gave his son for you. And scripture tells us that when we trust in Christ, not accept him into our hearts, but a trust, I think there's a heart and mind here, trust in him as our Lord and Savior, there's both those things, that we're his. We may not always do it perfectly, we may not always live as mature Christians, but we're his. Done deal. Scripture says that you are a co-heir with Christ, meaning guess what your future inheritance is? Glory. It says that God calls you son and daughter. You may be adopted into the family, but he never treats you like that. You're given full rights to the inheritance. See, Peter's call for you and for me and for his audience here really is to live in your new identity. Don't go back to being rusty. Live in the new identity with the future glory in store. In fact, listen to what verses 9 and 10 tell us about what you are if you are in Christ today. It says this, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his purposes, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Look, these are significant phrases Peter lays out here. A chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. 
They're not the same as those listed earlier, right? Those who are stumbling or rejecting Christ. But Peter gives instruction here. In light of your identity, proclaim the excellencies. In light of being this royal priesthood, it says. Live in light of that. Because you are a people and you have received mercy. So live in light of that. And here's the weirdness thing about being a, a follower of Jesus. Right? It says that you and I, man, we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. But there's never call in the scripture to live arrogantly. The call actually is to remind yourself that without the gospel, you are not those things. In the gospel, you did not deserve. So the follower of Christ is called to live in light of truth, to live in light of change, and to live in light of the miraculous mercy given through Christ. If we understand that that, that is what scripture claims for us to be, a, this, this coveted possession of God. That's really what we are in Christ. He then says, look, out of your identity, live as if you are that. Look at quickly, verses 11 and 12. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of flesh, which wage war against your soul, to keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. He says, look, know your identity. Know that you're sojourners. Know that you're just, literally, you're passing through, right? And you may think, man, uh, life seems very long. It's not, okay? Because if you ask anyone who is just more seasoned in life, more vintage, if you will, they'll say it's like a moment. See, Solomon was exactly right when he said, life is like a mist, a vapor. You try to hold it in your hand, you can't even do it. It's gone so fast. Parenting, it seems exhausting, but the best analogy I've heard is this. The days are long, but the years are short. That's true. We love bedtime. We love my kids go to bed. But it's crazy. I've got an 11-year-old, almost 12, a 10-year-old, a 7-year-old, and a 4-year-old. It's like, man, flying it says look you're sojourners if you're in christ you're, you're exiles you're really actually trying to await your future glory your future inheritance heaven we are to live in light of that future inheritance he says so because that's your future inheritance look abstain from sinful things passions right look recognize there's a battle going on it says, keep your conduct honorable. Live your life so that, so that those around you, right, who have not yet trusted and followed Christ, will look at your life in a way and call it honorable. Right? Literally, that means that they would say it's beautiful to look at. It's noble. And why should we live our lives that way? Well, because Peter says, look, because there will be some that just by observing your life, may come to trust in Christ. Some I've often heard say, their actions are their testimony. That's not a disagreeable statement. I agree with that. I'll add to it. Your words are actually your testimony as well. And the third thing I'll say is this, that if you're only relying on your actions to be your testimony, you better buck up, buttercup. You better be on your A game every single day. Right? 
take seriously the declaration that you're declaring. But when we start using our words, you know what we can say? Like, I'm just broken. <laughs> but God graciously loved me in Christ. Like, I can say to my son, look, I'm sorry that I just lost it. Will you forgive me? Because if all it is is my actions that speak, man, my words to speak as well. But both those things can declare Christ and can actually draw others in, Peter says, to, to trust in Christ themselves. See, one of the greatest things the body of Christ can do is this, to live and proclaim the amazing transition that's taken place in your life. Like Rob was right earlier. Right? There, there was a sense, you weren't here for practice, but like there was a sense of nervousness. I like it when we mess up, just so we all are very clear. Okay? I actually like it when we make mistakes up here. It's a fresh and good reminder that this is not a performance. Like you didn't pay to see a concert today. Right? You, you came in to, to worship the Lord together, led by imperfect people trying to worship a holy God together. I love hearing kids in here. I love the noise. I love, it's, it's called life. And that's normal. See, God is gracious. He said, look, come as you are right now, just as you are. But God is gracious enough to say, look, I'm going to just work with you in this process. To gradually shape you, sometimes with sandpaper, sometimes with a chisel, to become more like Christ. And why one could say, why would he want to do that? Am I not, am I not good enough by, my, by how I am, by myself? God loves you as you are, but he loves you enough to help mold you to shape the son. To take the struggle away from you. Look, life is hard. It is stressful at times. And so God is, is ultimately trying to shape us so that we would see him as more glorious than anything else. And that we would understand that even when we stumble and we fall flat on our face, that we can confess and repent and come back for the Lord. And he says, look, you're still my son, you're still my daughter. The idea of coming before the Lord and him saying, look, let's get after this. Right? Run from the sin. Flee sinful desires. Why? Because they're not good for you. They're just not good for you. Right? My, my, I, I say this all the time. My biggest analogy, like working with students, I did student ministry for six and a half years. When God in his word says, look, remember the marriage bed and keep it pure. Like, what's he mean by that? He means, look, sex for marriage is not God's design. Pornography is not a good thing. Lust is bad for both the heart and the mind. God's ultimately desire, his desire is this. It's not just to be his fun-killing God. But you know what God's desire is? For you to have a, a, a good marriage. And he knows that if you can avoid those things, your marriage has, starts out on a better foot than if you had them. That's trusting that God, his ways are good. And here's the beauty that God is. Even if you choose just totally walk in sin, man, but when you come back to him, he's faithful to forgive and then he'll work on you. So even that can be redeemed. Really, Peter's call here to us today is to live in your identity. To allow your identity to impact everything. And as gospel community, man, we are intended to be a people who are striving to do this. We're striving together to live after Christ. Together. And how do I know that? 
Because what did he say? What did he call us? A chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. It's hard to be a nation by yourself, isn't it? I think it is. All those things listed are meant to be people connected together, a gospel community. And we need to understand that when we are together, there's opportunity for relationship, for growth, and for the Lord to do way more in us and through us than we can individually by ourselves. Look, as nervous as those guys were today, you should be grateful that I was not singing. I know my gifts. I know my wheelhouse. Right? Well, that's because we're together. Really, as we've spent time asking ourselves, what is gospel community? Why talk about it? Look, my, my prayer is that it's been helpful to give clarity. Clarity that the life of Christ does have expectations for us. Jesus does not just say, look, come follow me in the what you want. But there are some expectations to what it means to follow Christ. And the scriptures don't get into every single detail of life, but there seem to be overarching principles to help guide us through decision-making, to guide us through marriage, to guide us through fighting a marriage. And that can be restored and redeemed. To guide us through parenting. To guide us through being a co-worker and a neighbor. All those things. Scripture has those tangible things, those principles in there within us. To lead us and guide us. The Holy Spirit to do that as well. And then each other to rub against. See, gospel community is meant to be an integral part of the life of the believer. Can you live an isolated Christian life? Sure, I guess you can. I'm not sure if you do so that you're actually being biblically obedient, I'll be honest with you. I think you might be choosing disobedience over obedience in that matter. I certainly don't think that if you choose to live life just singled out, isolated, I don't think you're living for the greatest opportunity of growth, for encouragement, for support, discipleship, or God's glory. Let me jog your memory a little bit. What is gospel community as we defined it? Week one, gospel community is a called out people of God living for his glory and his purposes together. So what does it look like? Well, again, it's discipleship. It's becoming more and more like Christ as men, women, husbands, wives, grandparents, kids, teenagers, neighbors, coworkers, and so on. All things becoming more like Christ. Gospel community has, has teaching and prayer the scriptures as our source of truth and hope, right? That we're not like a ship out at sea with no sails and no rudder and no engine being tossed to and fro, but no, with teaching and prayer, we're like a ship at sea with sails set on a course. That we be in prayer for each other and the needs of the people. To be praying for people, you must know them. That we would have gospel hospitality, that we'd see our homes as phenomenal opportunities for ministry to take place, not a castle. That we would gather together for corporate worship, yes, on Sunday mornings, but then smaller gatherings as couples and as groups, individuals to individuals for growth and for prayer and to listen to each other. And that we would seek to grow, that there would be personal responsibility, my personal responsibility to grow in Christ, and then my personal responsibility to help you grow in Christ. What does all of those things take? Listen, intentionality. 
God is a God of order, not chaos. And I believe that he wants us to be thought out people. To consider our days, our time, and our relationships. That we would live intentionally. Proverbs says, right? Psalms, Teach me to number my days, O Lord. Number your days. Meaning, look, remember, you're not going to be here on earth forever. If Christ does not return, you'll die. So teaching you to number your days is, look, help me to see my day as precious. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. We say it here, not often, but at times, that statistically, right, across our country alone, someone will not return to church next Sunday. Someone will likely die between now and then. Maybe not in our context, but in local gatherings, that will happen. Church, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. To live intentionally. And so we at State Street want to provide you an opportunity for this. To not just send you out there and say, hey, figure it out on your own. We are relaunching our community groups, what we're calling gospel communities. What does that mean? It means that we as a church family want to be intentional at creating and setting up rhythms in our life that allow us to walk out these things that we talked about over the last six or so weeks. What will our gospel community look like? Why change things, right? We, we've had a, a community groups, which is really like a small group that has met consistently. A couple reasons. It's important to evaluate things and to always allow for God's leading. And this is an area where we're trying to follow God's leading, very simply put. Some practical details. What will our gospel communities look like going forward? Well, we're going to start with just a single group. But our desire is to have more than one group that meets. We'd like to see at least three family units committed to start a new group. Why three? Because if someone's sick and can't make it, there's still two. It's just practical. I'm not, there's no spiritual meaning behind it. It's truly just practical. Okay, three makes sense. The desire and the goal is this. We're committed to meet twice a month. Okay, in the past we've met every week. We're committed to meet in a home. And our hope for the off weeks is this, that in our intentional rhythm, if we're setting aside a certain day twice a month to, to gather with God's people, then in those off times that we're very intentional, but using that same rhythmic time to be intentional towards our neighbors and our coworkers and our family members. See, we want to create space, not add more things. We believe that gospel community creating space for, is important, meaning gathering together, it's a good thing. Twice a week, twice a month, I mean. Right? In those rhythms, though, we're going to create those off times for you to be intentional with, to be thinking about how is God leading me? I mean, who is that person he's just put on my heart over and over? I don't know why, but I just need to have coffee with them and just figure out what's going on in their lives. Catch up. There will be a meal. Okay? We're, we're going to celebrate a meal together every time. It is not the responsibility of the host home to provide everything. Where are we going to meet coming up? My house. All right? It's not my responsibility to provide everything. Right? But we're going to work out the details of, of how that looks. Like. It will take organization, right? probably emails, often very, very handy, or text feeds going on. But we see over and over in the Testament, man, food together is a good thing. And you know that when we sit around a table together and our conversations flow out, it's a good thing. Good things happen. And guess what? It's normal. 
We're going to eat anyway. Let's just do it together. Some things that will take place, though there's freedom, is that I'm not, I don't think all gospel communities will look the same moving forward. Right? But they'll be in focus and attention on Jesus and his grace. That these are communities where we're to learn, to love, and to listen to, and to lead each other towards Jesus and his grace in all areas of life. There will be time in the scriptures. We may not always set aside a, you know, this Bible time, Bible study time, but our lives, our conversations together are informed by the words of God given to his people. There's an understanding that we're all saved by grace. And this allows for honesty, for safety, and for time to be spent together. There'll be a family-like atmosphere. Right? So we're not making these gospel communities kind of age-specific. Right? No, we want multiple ages, varied personalities, background, experiences, perspectives, all to grow together. And if you come into my house, and it's going to be like a family, it's going to be loud. And that's good. That's life. Lastly, there will be a desire to love, to bless, and to serve our neighbors. That we will pray for, talk about, and desire to move our lives and love those who Jesus is sending us to with an authentic, missional life. This is not a country club for you to come to. This is a, a place to come to do life together, rooted in our identity in the gospel. If you're interested, November 14th, 6 o'clock, our house. You can all come. There's plenty of space. All right. And we'll begin to walk this out. What does it look like? All right. If you're interested, get in touch with myself or Kim, and we'll begin to work out details of food and those sort of things. All right. But this is us following God's leading as a local people gathered together for his purposes and his glory. Some of you will be frustrated because it wasn't your Bible study of 20 years ago. Some of you will be ticked off because it wasn't your community group of six months ago. <laughs> All right? And I'm not interested in constantly changing things, but what I'm interested in this, here's very clearly, because right? if you ask our leaders here, I've changed very few things in three years. What I'm interested in doing is following the vision that God gives us as a local church family. Because I love Middle Street Baptist, and I love Great Bay Calvary, and I love Seacoast Community Church, and I love New Frontiers, and I love the other churches in our area who are preaching the gospel. But we're unique. And God has established us here for his glory and for his purposes. And we're trying to figure that out. This will be a little bit bumpy, and that's okay. Because you're not great, neither am I. So we'd invite you to come and just do life with us. Live life alongside of us. Be prepared for noise and laughter and tears and prayer and discussion as God leads it and directs it. So what do we ultimately do with gospel community? Look, we have to live within it, be part of it, and see Jesus as the most precious thing in your life. Look, I would beg you, remind yourself today that if you're in Christ, you were once lost, but now you've been found. Remind yourself that we are all in a process. Be patient with each other. And wrestle. Look, this is something that's on my heart lately. Wrestle with what you're known for. And here's what I mean by this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, just two thoughts here to finish up with. And I borrowed 10 minutes, I'm sorry. 
Wrestle with what you're known for. Are you known more for your love or your hate of something? Are you known for more of what you love or more of what you hate? Are you known more for what you share online or who you are as an actual person? Are you known more for the way that you drive, what you're anti, more than what you are for? Are you known more because of what Christ has done in you? What defines you? What are you known for? Guess what we're going to talk about November 15th? What are we known for? I want you to wrestle. I'm away for a couple weeks. Whatever, 10 days. I don't know how many days it is. As Kim tells me, it's on my calendar, I go. I'm going to wrestle. I've got to wrestle with this too. I think I know what I'm known for, but, right? But I don't, I mean, I'm going to ask my wife. I'm not going to ask my other family. Maybe I will. What are you known for? Lastly, we'll conclude with this. Look, I'm begging you. Do not settle for isolation. I am a proud New Englander. This is where I'm from. And the fact that I say that I'm proud tells you that I'm from New England because we're full of pride. We can do it by ourselves. I don't need your help. I'll fix it on my own. I bet you two, what do I need you for? I know you own the tool, but I'll buy the $300 one instead so I don't have to ask you for help. If you're not from New England, you need to understand this, that we are rooted in pride and it is not a good thing and God has used that to divide his people constantly. You need to know that if you are not from here, that we put up big walls and we're constantly challenging people at State Street, take the bricks down. Who are you fooling? We're not perfect. We know you're not, and it's okay. (laughs) Because God's love and grace flow through Christ that sees us as restored and new. Look, don't settle for isolation. Be part of gospel community. And I mean by that, be committed to the local church where they gather together, where they preach the scriptures, where they declare Christ as supreme, and they encourage you to live that identity. Gather together as a people that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into marvelous light. We're not going to finish this song today like we normally would. I'm just going to give you a few moments just to pray with the Lord because I think that the world is loud. Like I was watching this Red Sox play last night. It was loud there, obnoxiously loud. I feel like the, the, you know, the people on the TV like had the audience volume boosted. They were in L.A., by the way. All right, they weren't at home. It's loud. Life is loud. We have some, just some moments here to sit. And maybe just wrestle, begin now. What are you known for? Are you known for what you're against or what you're for? But what you're for, I mean this, are you for Christ and the gospel going forward? Are you known for that? And then are, are you living in isolation? Or are you seeking to live life with people who really, man, they, they love you before they even fully know you. And guess what? Even when they get to know you, they're still going to love you. All right, so let me give you just a few minutes and I'll just wrap up in prayer. Let's pray.